Hey again, it's been a while since we've talked to a new friend on Get to Know an Average Joe, because for me, it's been one of those times of change that we talk about so often on this podcast. So a special thanks to Leslie for reminding me that it is possible to beat the odds. There's over 2 million companies started every year, but you know, what, what happens to them, it's, it's, you, you need to be out telling the story and not just telling it in a random way, but trying to understand the consumer problems and how do you address those and using that uh, communication, the two-way communications to shape the company and shape the product offering. I'm Dodie Axe, and you're listening to Get to Know an Average Joe, where over the course of the next few minutes, you might find that nobody is average. Leslie Mansbach, say that for me. I say Leslie Mansbach. So let's go back to 20 years when you made the decision to leave the United States and come to Sweden. Was that a direct line? Was that a single choice? Or what was that process like? It, it was a really single choice. I fell in love and uh, jumped in head first and didn't, um, didn't think I'd be here so long. When we first came, we didn't buy a TV. We didn't buy a microwave. We said, well, let's not invest in any technology because you know we're only here for, for some time. Uh, went out a lot, had a great time in the city, got jobs. I, I got a job very quickly. My husband came back for a job. Um, but you know, time has passed, and we have, we have a TV. We have a microwave now. Yeah. <laughs> all, the, all the appropriate technology that goes along with life. Where did you grow up? I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, and then um, I grew up in the summers in Wapella, Illinois, on a farm. And my parents live in Decor, Iowa now, also in the countryside, all in the U.S. So how important was farming, was growing, was the earth to you growing up? Um, I grew up with it really part of my life and like, you know, barefoot in grass and always a garden in the backyard, if not a big garden in the summertime where we'd go and um, pick the beans or, or detassel the corn as some extra earning money. So I, I've been out kind of working in the farm since eight, nine years old. Do you garden still? No, I'm pretty terrible with plants. <laughs> How did that happen? Um, maybe that I had so many great people with plants around me in life, so I took it for granted and never learned the skills myself. What did you grow up chasing? What did you grow up loving that you still have in your life? Um, I, I like time with people. I like travel. Um, I read a lot. I think it's really interesting to uh, have discussions on current events and... Um, and activities happening and surrounding us. So I think those are the things I'm passionate about. I also like sports and uh, being outside and doing things in, in nature, taking walks. Did you play sports as a kid or were you a scout or? I did, I played a lot of sports in the US. You know, we get really encouraged from a really young age to be on teams. Um, I was on soccer team. I wasn't very good. My mom was the coach, and um, she was a very good soccer player. My sister was a very good soccer player, went on to play at university level. And uh, I was a little bit more picking flowers in the grass, so that wasn't my sport. I was on the cheerleading team. Um, I was um, a cross-country runner, and I was uh, went to state competition for the 400-meter hurdles um, and, and the 800-meter relay in the Oklahoma State uh, Championships, so I'm quite proud of that. And when I at university, I also took a track scholarship, um, which paid for part of my, my state-funded uh, university, Missouri Southern State University. And um, then 
in my final year of, of university, I was on the rugby team. Mm. Wow. That's violent. It was pretty fun. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> Do you like to be tough? Did you get out a lot of energy on the rugby field? I was I was a uh, outside wing, which means you run really fast and try not to get tackled for the most part. But it, it did feel good when I uh, could intercept the ball and and bring somebody down with it and bring the ball back into my side. Yeah. <laughs> so, what characteristics did you take with you from all of that sporting and competition experience? How did that come into your professional life then? I think when you're on a team, you know, like to be part of a team, to have team goals, to have uh, games to look forward to and to train for, um, competitions to train for, and always try to beat your personal best, especially in like individual sports like track. I was also in swimming, um, and that's these, these kind of individual sports. And it's a lot of putting uh, goals for yourself of what is your best time, how do I beat, beat that not just trying to compete against somebody else. And then when you're on a team, a team sport, I was yeah, also on the volleyball team, and, and I wasn't very good at that either. But all of these kind of sports, it was, yeah, excited for your teammates, the bus ride there, the camaraderie, and um, time together. I think that stayed with me in life and something I still enjoy. Right now you're on the brink of something pretty fantastic. How does everything that you learned back then, that you learned from being an athlete, whether or not you're going to apologize for it, you're pretty apologetic about your sporting career, but you know the, the things that you learned from being an athlete, how is that going to inform what you're about to do? I'm wondering why I'm being so apologetic of my athleticism. I think it's because I have a very good sister and we like compare ourselves to others. My sisters uh, went on and was like all state and and uh, my mom was also a really good soccer player, like I said, and played until she was in her 40s. So, and what for myself. And coached you, I mean, was that weird? Uh, so yeah, I mean, it wasn't weird. It was nice, nice finding time, but she, uh, she, yeah. It was sad for her that the daughter needed to be on the bench when, you know, you're spending all that time on the field. You want your daughter to at least, like, not pick flowers, you know. And I, don't, I would get distracted. It was pretty, wasn't on purpose. I would it's like some Charlie would, Brown cartoon about yeah. this, it feels like. I think so. It was not trying to be spiteful, but I just, like, that was not my thing, unfortunately. I still don't really know the rules uh, of soccer so much. <laughs> Um, I'm learning kite surfing right now, so that's oh, awesome. Wow. Yeah, and that's what is that like? That to me is that's a better headspace for me. So you, um, yeah, you're using you're outside and you're using nature and the wind speed and you're trying to get you know air. And I'm, I haven't got that yet, so I'm it's called dragging. I'm getting drugged back and forth, but I'm so happy I can yeah catch the air and get drug around a bit and you're learning that in sweden i'm learning it in sweden yeah and it's it's that's even really fun so it's called kites in their sweden and you have to check ahead of time where they're going to be it's not like this is the obvious place because it's about the wind direction has to blow into land um I, i haven't gone so many times but the times i've gone has been it's fantastic and that's that's a challenge i want to put to myself for my for my next level and it's really mindful you have you have to stay with it i mean so much can happen with the ropes and i mean it's really powerful wind it, you, you you can you can i mean you pull it up and you have the board kind of lightly resting on your feet and uh 
but it's spectacular. I mean, when you see people up and spinning in the air, that's my goal. I want to get up there. So that's my next time I talk to, I hope I can tell you about my success and being airborne. Oh, wow. Okay. We will ask for that. That tells me that you're quite adventurous. Yes, I do. I, I, I'm quietly adventurous. So I... Quietly adventurous. Okay. Explain that a little bit more. Um, I, I'm, I find myself around adventure. I'm intrigued by adventure, but I don't always go out running for it or um, asking for it, but I find my way toward it. And that, yeah. So let's talk about this entrepreneurial program and the Founders Program and what that is and how this quiet, adventurous spirit found this program. Um, I, I'm not, I think it is a little bit about finding something because I've been in communications almost 30 years now. It's like amazing how that can start. But say 15, you do a little bit of projects for your family and you keep going. And been training myself in this like communications and storytelling and and brand building and and marketing and I'm always very interested in business and reading about businesses um but then we've been seeing it's things are really disrupting and changing a lot in the communication industry especially but in business industries in general and all of these cool companies that are coming that are doing something a little bit differently I've been really curious about that and looking like what are they doing differently how are they approaching business and why yeah, why are they getting more stories in the media than some of these big legacy brands that I'm working for? And is there one answer to that question? Um, I, I do. I, I think there maybe is. It's that they're, they're learning fast. So they sometimes talk about failing, uh, failing fast, but I think that they're, they're, they're trying things. And if it works, they do more of it. And if it doesn't, they're adapting and they're taking the customers into the, the questions and um, co-creating with them. I think they're, to me, it feels like it's about solving problems. Well, what are the most interesting things happening now in communications? Describe what you find fascinating about the changing industry. What I find most interesting is we keep talking about the digitization and that how that's so different. And we even maybe hire people and say, we need to have this digital expert now. We need, and they have to be young because, you know, we don't get it ourselves. We have to bring this young person in. They're going to know the digitization. But when you uncover it and you like look at what's behind it, it's the same things. It's, it's about telling a human story and connecting that human story. And how are you telling that human story? Well, now you have more ability to have more visual images. And the other cool thing is that we can look at analytics of who's re- interacting with the story. Mm-hmm. And that's... that and that's, for how long, like you can really get into the nitty gritty of, of how well an asset is performing. It's amazing, isn't it? So what's working, you can continue doing. What's not working, you can adapt. You can also communicate to the customer much more. And I, I look at even just the comments fields or um, the, the way that you're letting people... Uh, leave in their thoughts or interact with it or share it so that shows if they're sharing it that's something they believe in and want more of um, the way you can see who's interacting with it so if you you, you can say how is this um, information performing maybe if you're a business to business company and you only want to work with uh, you have just certain customer groups your sales team can come in and see did that 
XYZ customer look and uh, see this article mm-hmm. and and then maybe reach on out to them based on that like we saw this or the way you can ask people to put their emails in and uh, before you download a document that's something you do to help bring them into your funnel so you can then come back to them with more relevant information it shows their interest and what you can come back Th- those things are new before they were letters in the mail you didn't even know if they got opened right and it took time. So you improve speed, you improve targeting, but what you're saying is really it all comes down to the nugget of the story still, and that is timeless. It's absolutely timeless. It's appealing to, like, telling something and appealing to the people's hearts and to their minds and to the, the problem they need to solve. And I think that's what it's all about. It's about how can you help uh, a person or a company or you know in, in taking it down to an individual solve and 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 yeah solve their problems so what are you up to now then with communications um, when we talk about in, in the business consulting world they talk about a t-shaped person okay. and that's that is. yeah so you have a, a you're a generalist across a lot of areas and I've always felt like that's what I am I'm um, a generalist in communications and I know all the techniques I studied broadcast journalism print journalism so on like th- this is my t-shape but I the t is growing even more as we're getting more and more uh, uh, dig- digital means and the different de- um, analytics that you can take and and analyze to look for this means and then the the t part of it is um, so for example this man Tim Brown of IDEO um, he said that you come out of university as an eye shape, so deep knowledge, mm-hmm. but then you want to try to build up your top layer T shape, getting more generalist in other areas. So, so um, that's taking it from the opposite end. But I, I see that for myself, that I have deep uh, knowledge in content marketing, journalism, but I want to get a little broader in, in the other gen- generalist areas of communications. And to me, it also goes into entrepreneurship or it's, it's finding its way into entrepreneurship because I'm looking at these successful companies or the ones that are the disruptors and they are coming from this uh, um, st- startup sphere in some kind of way. Maybe it's a little bit like kite surfing is you're going to discover whether or not you get air. Yeah, great. Well said. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's take off. Really, I'm ready. But yes, I think that's how, that's where things are finding each other. So the curiosity and uh, digging one layer deeper, one layer deeper, and things are starting to overlap. And then they've come together of a, now a program that from a company called Antler. And Antler say they're an incubator for finding, connecting, and moderating co-founders to uh, have a great business and, and get it out into the world as quickly as possible. So when you are, you know, when you're waking up in the morning and your day is going to be filled with, you know, this project that you're going to pursue now, um, what is it that that gives you fire for your day? I'm, it hasn't changed yet, so I'm still driven by a curiosity. I'm reading a lot of um, uh, business um, books and listening to a lot of bod- podcasts. Really curious about other other people and their journeys, and not always business ones. I'm also really interested in autobiographies of, of different people and the stories they tell, and how did they get to where they are. Right. Yeah. Do you have you articulated what your vision is? I guess to get into this program, you had to articulate somewhat your vision. 
part of working any kind of startup is the communications that goes behind it or any kind of successful business in general. If you have a great product or a great company, but nobody knows about it, it's not going to succeed. And there's over 2 million companies started every year, but you know, what, what happens to them? It's, it's, you, you need to be out telling the story and not just telling it in a random way, but trying to understand the consumer problems and how do you address those and using that uh, communication, the two-way communications to shape the company and shape the product offering. Where does that number come from, the two million a year? Mm, I read it on one of these uh, startup websites. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's incredible. It's huge. Yeah, it's huge. I want to backtrack a little bit and get into Leslie as a person. You said that you came over for love, so you are what I like to call a love refugee here in Sweden. Do you mind sharing the story of how you met your husband? Um, now I'm kind of embarrassed to share it, <laughs> which may, means it's a good yeah, one. Yeah. yeah. So now we have to hear it. Yeah, okay. So my husband was working uh, in Chicago, and I was working and living in Chicago as well. And we were going out quite a quite a lot uh, at those uh, years. I was 24 years old, and I actually met him when we were out with our friends one night. And uh, we were at a place called Pasha, and um, there was a big sofa that came open in the middle of the nightclub. And uh, he and his friends jumped in on the sofa, and my friends jumped in on the sofa. And so we happened to be like sat next to each other in this large purple sofa. So kind of embarrassing. I would like to say we met at the art museum or something, <laughs> but it was <laughs> typical 24-year-old night out. It went really fast. Um, I was blown away by him immediately and uh, uh, moved to Sweden. I came to Sweden with, I think, two soup. Well, no, I, I actually could move in some more of my things with his because he was relocating back to Stockholm. But the first time I came to Sweden was to move to Sweden. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. And were you frightened or were you just so focused on your relationship that everything else was just frosting? What was that like? If I would give advice back to my young self, I would have said, what are you doing? And are you going to, you know, how are you going to learn the language? And what job are you going to get when you get there? All of these kind of things. At the time, I had my own business as well. And my customers were, um, I was selling internet uh, web cameras, you know, globally. So uh, the world was kind of... Um, it wasn't scary to me. I'd also been living in Malta for almost three years and had moved back to Chicago from there. So, so being out in the world wasn't the scary place. Um, being a, a, a fiance and being with this man, you know, coming to his country and learning a new city, I was really excited. Are you the only one in your in in your first family? So your mom and your sisters and your parents. Are you the only one who moved abroad? I'm the only one that moved abroad. Yes. So. Yes. And now that you have you have kids of your own, and I, I think that it's fair to disclose to the audience that you and I are both mothers of twins. Um, I have my story about when we found out it was twins, and it's kind of a funny one. I'll share it quickly. I don't know if you know it. Do you know no, this story? I know this one. That's so funny. So we were getting an ultrasound, and the doctor is looking at this ultrasound and says, You know, I think I see two. And Lars's face just kind of went white, and, um, and, and he's also American despite his name, but we're bicycling home from the doctor, and he's just like, there was no mistaking what she said. No. Like, I, t <laughs> I totally understood what she meant. And then he went to bed, 
And I just started calling people and giggling, just like, oh my God, it's two. This is something like, you know, outrageous and unexpected, but so much fun. Yeah. Felt so blessed. What's your story when you found out that it was going to be two? Yeah, so definitely blessed. So I think we're definitely blessed with having twins. My parents are both twins. Yeah, so I'm raised with not like one mom, but two moms. Or, you know, I have an aunt that's like checking on me as much as uh, a mother would as well. And cousins that were, I was raised with like siblings. brothers, like siblings. So I love it. I love the twinny, twinniness. And my dad and his twin brother, they're not telephone guys, but when they're together, you know, this connection that twins have is something super special. Um, I didn't know I was pregnant, but I was really kind of tired. And um, then somehow one of my friends teased me, maybe you should take a pregnancy test. And <laughs> and I was like, ah, no, no, you know, I'm just tired. But then I, like, I don't know. Then I went out, got the pregnancy test, and it, it showed blue line. And my husband was out of town. I'm like, do I call and tell him? that It's probably wrong. Anyway, I better go to the uh, mother center because that's where professionals um, are there and give these tests. And took the test at the mother center. Or actually, when I went to the mother center, the first thing they asked me is, why do you think you're pregnant? And I said, I bought a pregnancy test, and it was blue. And they're like, well, then you're pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> and we're done here. Yeah, exactly. Now you can go home. Right. <laughs> Come back. <laughs> what week are you? How many weeks pregnant are you? They're asking me. Come back when you're 20 weeks for your next checkup. I'm like, ah, no, you have to test me. <laughs> I want to test by a doctor. <laughs> yeah. So I had a test. Um, and then they they felt my stomach, and they said, "Oh yeah, you're pregnant. You're you're probably 18 weeks pregnant." Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> Takes a while for you to notice what's yeah. going on with your body. Really? <laughs> like, yeah, 18, 20 weeks pregnant. Like I didn't look pregnant. I didn't feel pregnant. Nothing. Um, but I, obviously, I did. They felt something. Finally, we were having our wedding uh, soon. So the day of our ultrasound was the same day my sister was arriving for our wedding that was going to be that weekend. <laughs> <laughs> so I haven't told anybody I'm pregnant yet in my family. When it rains, it pours. Yeah. I'm just going to say, okay. So in the ultrasound, they, they said, they saw it was twins. And they said, we are saying, and the first thing my husband said is, I knew it. I knew it was going to be twins. I always knew you'd have twins. Oh. And they said, oh, really? You never told me that. He's like, of course, I mean, your parents are both twins. I always knew it would be twins. So he, he knew it would be twins. I was surprised. But then they told me I was only 12 weeks pregnant, but with twins. So that actually made me feel happier that, yes, I still didn't know my body very well, but it wasn't as bad. I was very busy with work. I have to give myself some excuses. I was traveling a lot with work. And, and then you had one after your twins. And so you weren't afraid of getting pregnant again. <laughs> <laughs> is it okay that's all we is did this, yeah is this intimate we can say like it was also surprise like surprise oh honey surprise he's like he's like you got a lot of too many surprises that was it that was the last surprise three daughters now right yeah nice. and you have two sons i know so the the, the yeah right? our twinnies are they're contemporaries so now now that your your girls are teenagers you know and they're they're watching you go through this huge shift in your life from having a a steady job employment to doing this founder program and last week when you met you said your girls were like well what do you do for work now so what do you suppose you are giving them 
as you go through this process of discovery and challenge and risk? I think it's really great that our kids can see the the process of starting a business and um, and home business. So I'm freelancing right now as well. So that in a way, that's my own business as well. They see that that I'm, uh, you know, it's about having customers and the next customer come and and these opportunities to be part of companies. Um, yeah, the risk. Well, it, it's not. It's, it, it's not the same as uh, goodbye, go in the morning and they know where you are. It is, you're in meetings, you're in other places, you have other things happening around you. It's pretty exciting. And if your girls were to say, were to come to you and say, hey, we decided or one of them decides that they're going to go to Australia, what do you say then? No, I don't. I mean, it. you're an expat. Yeah, I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it. You're like, do as I say, not as I do. Yeah, I don't like it at all. And two of my daughters, the twins, the 15 year olds, were in Krakow this week with school. And I was like, my universe was not aligned. And I was having a really hard time. Like, they, where are they at? When are they back? Where is everything, you know, is everything safe? It didn't, it didn't, you know, they go out, they do things, they have a lot of activities. But having them in another country and this, like, yeah, it, it felt off balance. Mm. So I, that's going to be tough for me. And what do you say to your mom during this week then? <laughs> yeah, exactly. A couple more calls to my mom. Mom. Yeah. 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 And she's all like, you deserve it. Right. You, you rascal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. All right. Let's bring it back to now and and what you hope your every day will be like three months from now. You have finished the Founders Program. You have formulated an idea. Describe a day in the life of Leslie three months from now. Yeah, really exciting. Because no matter where I am in three months from now, I'm, I'm going to continue going all in. And right now I feel like I'm doubling down and like studying and learning and being inquisitive and trying new things. I'm now ready to go deeper. We talked about the T-shape. I was like, I want to even push my eye down more. I wish it already happened. To me, it's not being in the program and meeting the people. I mean, that's exciting. I'm really looking forward to that. That's, that to me is almost a, a study opportunity or a learning opportunity for sure. But I can't wait to like fast forward that and be in on an idea, like in on something that can change and make society better. Thanks, Leslie, for your time and your story. We'll be back soon with another friend, new or old, who has made big decisions or shaped their lives based on principles, or is just one of those uncelebrated people worth celebrating. And now, if you'll excuse me,